Well, good morning. Happy Tuesday. You know, this is kind of an intimidating pulpit. There, there's a lot of people in this room. The last time I came up here and preached, I kind of like grabbed the pulpit and held on and didn't let go again. So I'm going to try to be a little bit more animated today. But my other problem is that my hands flap around when I get excited. So there's, there's kind of a balance there. Let's go ahead and pray as we get started here today. Father in heaven, we pray, hallowed be your name in this time, in this service, in this message. I pray that I would accurately portray you and the truth that you've taught in your word. May I say what I ought, nothing more, nothing less, that the glory may go to you as you use vessels of clay to convey your glorious revelation. Father, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know that our sorrows and troubles, just as we've just sung about and talked about, will not end until Christ makes all things new. We long for the day when he will return to establish his kingdom upon this earth, and so we pray, even so come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. We pray that you would give us this day our daily bread and provide for our needs as we face the effects of the curse in this life. We pray that you would empower us with your spirit, who equips us with your armor, which empowers us to resist the enemy. Help us to live out today your gospel as we forgive as we have been forgiven. Help us to never lose sight of how much you have done for us and how much we owe as a result to our fellow images of you on this earth. Father, lead us not into temptation. Protect us, I pray, from the enemy and his fiery darts. We thank you for Christ, our advocate, who always intercedes for us before you. But Father, deliver us from the evil one. We thank you that our Lord Sabaoth must win the battle and that one little word shall fell that enemy who was defeated at the cross. We thank you, Father of glory, that in Christ you have made us victorious, that his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Amen. I have an opening question for you this morning. And I want you to chew on this and I want you to think about it as I go through the rest of the message. Our theme in Psalms is planted and productive. We're talking about living a blessed life that shows the enviable position of the one who knows God. But today, as yesterday, we're dealing with a lament psalm. Are believers still enviable in the midst of what Martin Luther termed the dark night of the soul, in the midst of great sorrow? I have another question for you to think about as we're going through the sermon today. In Hebrew, the book of Psalms is not called Psalms, it's called Praises, which accurately represents a large majority of its contents. But does that accurately reflect the laments? We're going to come back to those answers at the end. But before we jump in, I want to remind you of a couple things. This is a psalm. Remember that the Psalms are divinely inspired human prayers, which makes them unique from all other scripture. This is God telling us how to pray. It's often been said that when disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray, he could have said, read the Psalms. Poetry, though, is different from some other kinds of genres in scripture. Poetry isn't designed primarily to teach us theology. It's designed to make us think about it, meditate upon it. 
Poetry is not designed to give you new information. It's designed to make you think about what you already know. And that's what we're going to do today in this psalm. My main point is theological today, as hopefully the main points of our sermons are. And this psalm is a response to this theology in the situations of life. So here is the theological point I'm going to be making, and I want to develop it a little bit before we get into the psalm. Okay? Nothing new, nothing earth-shattering, but this is foundational to our lives. Sin and its effects are bad. But God is good and sovereign. Okay? Simple truth, simple words, but that is all of life. We're talking about a lament psalm, and we have to remember that the the genre of lament, crying out to God in the midst of the sin-cursed world, the genre of lament exists because we live in a fallen world. When we think of psalms, we usually think of psalms like 113, which are praise. They're the high point, the emotional high of the psalms. When the writer is so enthused with God, so in awe of him, and his situation of blessedness is so great that he can't help but say, praise God, hallelujah. But yesterday we looked at Psalm 13. And it's lament. It's the cry of the soul to God. And one of the things I think we forget is that this is the majority of the Psalms. Lament. They help us to refocus on God. They help us to refocus on the truth that sin and its effects are bad and that God is good and sovereign. The essence of lament is that the psalmist, though sometimes he may feel like God's victim, we're going to talk about that this morning in Psalm 88, he knows that God is the only one who can truly help him. And so he cries out. So why do we suffer in this world? Well, the short answer is sin. But what does that look like? There's our own sin. Sometimes we suffer consequences for our own sin. Sometimes we suffer because people sin against us. Other times, it's sin that indirectly affects us. But sometimes, it's just because we live in a fallen world. Sometimes you see lament psalms in Scripture where the person is attacked by enemies and he cries out to God because that situation is bad. Other times, it's not just enemies, but fallen aspects of the world that bring on the situation. Uh, Psalm 88, which we're looking at this morning, some have hypothesized that it's about someone suffering terminal illness. Because not just sin, but sin and its effects are bad. The lament psalms are what we pray when we wrestle with the effects of sin in this life. They help us to correctly grasp this central truth. Sin and its effects are bad. But God is good and sovereign. Now there's a progression in the psalms. I don't want you to lose sight of this. I'm dealing with lament, and I'm dealing with Psalm 88, which is kind of the lament of laments. God does not want us to stay in lament our entire life. There is a progression. We go from lament, God, everything is falling apart and it's horrible and I don't know where you are, to trust. God, everything is still falling apart and horrible, but I know that you are in control and I know that you will work. To thanksgiving, God, everything was horrible and falling apart but you brought me out to praise God, you are amazing because of what you have done. So there's a progression here. But we also need to be careful not to run roughshod over lament. It exists for a reason. 
God wants us to lament. God wants us to come to him with the sorrows that come from this world. He wants us to cry out to him. In fact, he commands us to lament by casting all our cares upon him, for he cares for us. But God also commands us to have joy in trials, which seems confusing and contradictory. But we need to remember that joy is not an emotion. Joy is an attitude. Joy is what you have when you are confident in God, when you know who he is and expect him to do what he has said. We call those faith and hope in Christianese. But that doesn't mean the sorrow isn't dark. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. But we have to remember that God is our only hope. So, sin is bad, and its effects are bad. God is good and sovereign. Let's chew on that last bit for a second. Because when we're in a trial, one of the easiest things for us to forget is God's sovereignty. And we have to remember that God is in complete control of all things. He is never thwarted. He is never surprised. He is never conquered. That's our God. We have to recognize this. And part of recognizing this is recognizing that the effects of the fall are bad. We ought never call those things that the fall has brought about good. Death, sorrow, suffering are bad. God is amazingly powerful and amazingly sovereign. And as Joseph said to his brothers at the end of his life, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. He doesn't say to his brothers, no, don't worry, what you did was right. It was bad. It was sin. He doesn't say, well, you did something wrong, but the fact that I was in sorrow and slavery and tormented all those years was good. No, that was bad. What he says is God uses the bad for good. He uses all sin for his purposes. Have you ever thought about how amazing that is? Sin, that which exists because rebellion against God exists, still bends to the will of God. He is not the author of sin. He does not create sin. And yet, he is sovereign. Romans 8.28 tells us we know all things work together for good to them that love God. Notice it doesn't say that all things are good. Sin and its effects are bad. But they work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It is because of Christ that we can rejoice now, even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of the curse. 2 Timothy 1.9-10 tells us Uh, that Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought immortality and life. It's the gospel that gives us hope. And yet, we have lament psalms. And in lament psalms, God acknowledges that while he has told us about the hope, he has told us about the future, he has told us he wins and sin and death are destroyed, he recognizes that it's hard for us to understand what's going on in the midst of it. The lament psalms are God saying, it's okay to not feel sure how to feel. God doesn't ultimately answer the problem of evil for us. 
if God is completely good and completely in control, why does evil exist? He doesn't fully answer that question. What he does is tell us about himself. I am good, so trust me. I have a quote for you here on specifically Psalm 88. The author says, One of the great wonders of the Bible is that it accommodates the darkest experiences any of us could walk through. We will never experience a difficulty that goes deeper than what the Bible addresses. Every pain is accounted for, acknowledged in Scripture. We are even as here in this psalm, Psalm 88, given words to pray in such emotionally debilitating times. As Dr. Love mentioned yesterday, the Bible does not tell us that once we become believers, we should expect every day to be happy and wonderful. In fact, Paul tells us that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution and that through many trials we must enter the kingdom. So what's our problem? I'm talking about Psalm 88 this morning. It has often been termed the most depressing chapter of the Bible because it's not like normal laments. In a normal lament like Psalm 13, which we saw yesterday, the psalmist cries out to God and then at the end he expresses confidence in who God is. And we don't really see that in Psalm 88. Not the way we do in other psalms anyway. Because sometimes it seems so dark that even the truth you know doesn't shine through. And let me tell you that that is not necessarily because you are in sin. It is because sin exists. It could be because you have sinned. But it is not the case that every time you feel sorrow, you have done something wrong. It's because you're face to face with the curse, and the curse is bad. Grief is coming face to face with the fall and its consequences. It hurts because sin, sickness, suffering, and death are unnatural. They are not how God designed this world. God will fix it all someday, but until then we live by faith. Now, some of you are right here, right now in Psalm 88. You're so overwhelmed by the difficulty. You're so overwhelmed by the trial. You're so confused that all you can do to God is say, God, I've prayed, where are you? Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's prolonged singleness. Maybe it's abuse. Maybe it's medical issues. Maybe it's moving, as all of you as students have, unless you're commuting to campus. Maybe it's loss of a job or finances. Or maybe as a college student, it's just perpetual car trouble. Okay? You either have been or will be in Psalm 88 at one point in your life. And we need to know how to deal with that. Because laments tell us to take our cares to God. Again, 1 Peter 5, 6-7. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt us in due time. How do we humble ourselves before God? By casting our care on him, for he cares for us. We humble ourselves before God by acknowledging that God, I can do nothing, but you are all powerful. So, we're going to work through this psalm. But this is a psalm. This is poetry. This is not an epistle. It's not going to be verse by verse, line by line, word by word. I'm going to work through thematically. I'm going to hit some main ideas. And I have three main points for you that I'm going to hit today. 
But all of these main points stem from my central theological proposition this morning. Sin and its effects are bad, but God is good and sovereign. So because of that, point one, God wants you to talk to him no matter how you feel. Remember that prayer is not about giving God information he doesn't have. He knows. Christ in the Sermon on the Mount tells us, your Father knows what you need before you even ask. So why do we pray? It, it's not about giving God information. It's about expressing our dependence upon Him. Part of the Lord's prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. Father, give us everything we need to continue going on. You do not have to be living a perfect Christian life to come to God. That's legalism. You do not have to pretend to be happy when approaching God. That's hypocrisy. You should not expect to be always happy in life, and it's not a sin to sorrow. After all, our Lord and Savior was called a man of sorrows, who also expressed perfect joy and hope. So as we talk about laments, I want to give you some cautions about praise psalms. We need to recognize that the praise psalms are not universal. You will not be always able to pray a praise psalm. That's not why they're there. Ecclesiastes 7, 2-4 actually tells us it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men. The living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. The heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Now this is not to say that Christians should be morose and walking around as if we have no hope. We do have hope, but we ought not flee sorrow. Second, the praise psalms are not for correction. When someone is sorrowing, when someone is grieving, we do not respond by quoting verses of Scripture that command them to rejoice. Don't be one of Job's friends. Listen, stop, care, love. Psalms 25.20 says, As he that takes away a garment in cold weather, that's kind of rude, and as vinegar upon nitre, this is baking soda and vinegar, when you join baking soda and vinegar, they destroy both individual elements and it makes a mess. So is he that sings songs to a heavy heart. It doesn't help. Okay? And third, the praise psalms are not the norm. You will not always be in a mood of praise. Now, we ought always to worship God, but part of my reorientation for you today is that lament is actually worship because it acknowledges God is in control. So that's point one. God wants you to come to him no matter how you feel. Now, we haven't jumped into the psalm yet, but that's foundational for this entire psalm because I've already told you Psalm 88 is called the most depressing chapter of the Bible. And some have said that the only glimmer of hope in this entire psalm is that the psalmist addresses it to God. Even though things are bad, even though he can't remember the right theology to correct himself, he's talking to God about it, and that is good. And that's actually worship. Second point. 
Not only does God want you to talk to him no matter how you feel, but God wants you to talk to him about how you feel. Sometimes we fall into this trap of thinking that emotions are bad. And they're not. Emotions are good. They're part of the image of God. We have emotions because God has emotions and he made us like himself. Now, his emotions are different. They're not affected by the vagaries of the weather and what he ate for dinner. I think of my favorite line in uh, A Christmas Carol. And those of you who were at Bridge last night, I already mentioned this there. And I mentioned it in Doctrine 1 class this semester. But one of my favorite lines from A Christmas Carol by Dickens is when Marley shows up. He says, you might be a bit of undigested beef, a blot of mustard. There's more of gravy than of grave about you. Recognizing that as human beings with biological bodies whose minds and souls and bodies are so connected together, sometimes how we feel is more about what we ate for lunch than what's going on in our lives. God's emotions are not like that. He doesn't have a body. His emotions aren't affected by the weather and what he ate for dinner. He is completely free and transcendent. In fact, no one can make God feel anything. No one can act upon God. God feels because he chooses to feel. We call this in theology the doctrine of divine impassibility. But God does emotionally respond to his creation. Now, our emotions are fallen, and what that means is we cannot trust them as a foundation for truth. Your emotions will lead you astray if you trust them rather than what God says. But... That doesn't mean stuff them in a box, stick it in your pocket, and never acknowledge they exist. Because that's not how Jesus dealt with his emotions. Stifling your emotions is unhealthy. It's a violation of your purpose as God's image because we're supposed to image him and he has emotion. And it's also disobedient to God because you can't cast your cares if you're locking them in a box and sticking them in your pocket. Another author says, our dark emotions actually reveal God. They open the road to true joy. This is the central message of the book of Psalms. We encounter divine goodness in the midst of pain. Sin and its effects are bad, but God is good. So where do we see this in the psalm? Psalm 88. The psalmist shows us we can pour our emotional and physical sufferings on God. Verses 3 to 5 say, For my soul is full of troubles. My life draws nigh into the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. That is, people think I'm bound for death. I am as a man that has no strength, free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and they're cut off from your hand. Basically, people think I'm without hope and a dead man, and I feel that way too. What is he talking about? Again, many have conjectured that it's physical illness, Uh, The title of this psalm doesn't really help us much because the people it mentions, we're not sure who they are, and the musical terms it lists, we're not sure what they mean. But that's the beauty of the psalms, that they go beyond their original situation of composition. They speak of the human experience. Verse 9 of Psalm 88 says, My eye mourns by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called upon you daily. I have stretched my hands out to you. Ever been there? That's life under the curse. Now, I hope that you noticed in some of those verses and uh, elsewhere in Psalms 
that sometimes the psalmists say things that are not quite objectively true. Now, don't let that freak you out. The Bible is inspired. Every word is the word of God. But sometimes the Bible truly records that someone said something false. When Satan says to Adam and Eve in the garden, eat the fruit, you'll be like gods, he really said that, but it was a lie. When we come to the psalmists, sometimes they say things that, while not technically true about their situation, are really how they feel. Psalm, uh, Psalm 10.1 God, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Does God do that? No. But may you feel that way sometimes? Yeah. Psalm 13.1 How long will you forget me? Does God do that? No. But you can feel that way sometimes. Psalm 42.9 Why have you forgotten me? Psalm 43.2 Why have you rejected me? Psalm 44, 23, awake, why are you sleeping, Lord? Are those things true? No. But sometimes you'll feel that way. And what God says in the Lament Psalms is when you feel this way, don't fake it, don't grin and bear it, tell God. When you're not sure how you feel about God, tell God about it. Because that's acknowledging that He is sovereign and good although the effects of sin are bad. So what do we see that in this psalm? Verses 1 and 2, the psalmist basically says, God doesn't hear my prayers. He says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I've cried day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. He says, God, hear my prayer because you're not doing it now. And Luke 18, 7 to 8 tells us, uh, Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. God hears our prayers. In verses 10 and 12, he says, There's no hope after this life. He says, Will you show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave, or your faithfulness and destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark, and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Now, this one's a little interesting because sometimes we're not quite sure how much Old Testament saints knew about the afterlife. Their blessings were very much focused on this life. But his statement is basically, God, once I die, there's no hope for me left. And Scripture tells us in John 3.36, whoever believes the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains upon him. There is hope after this life. In fact, that's the greatest hope. That is the hope. That after the fall, after death, there is life eternal. In verse 14, he says, Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? He basically says here that God sometimes rejects believers. 2 Timothy 2, 11-13. This saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us, but if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. As Christ said, my Father who gave them me is greater than me, and no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. God never rejects us. Christ never rejects us. 
And it's important we recognize God doesn't rebuke us for feeling discouraged. Remember 1 Kings 19, when Elijah has just, with God's power, defeated the the priest of Baal, and then he finds out Queen Jezebel wants to kill him, and he gets freaked out and depressed, and he runs off into wilderness, and God finds him, and he says, Elijah, take a nap and eat a snack. Because, quite frankly, sometimes the godliest thing you can do is take a nap. But then God does correct him with truth. He says, Elijah, what's going on? And Elijah says, well, I'm the only one left. Everyone else has abandoned me. They don't, they don't love me. They, all, they don't love you. They hate you and they want to kill me. And God says, Elijah, that's not true. You know that's not true. But he doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't attack him. He says, Elijah, this is the actual truth. God wants to hear from us about how we feel and no matter how we feel. And third and finally, God wants you to talk to him in lament, not just praise. We are God's images. We have his sense of justice and morality within us. And what that means is when we see the effects of the curse in this world, it should disturb us. If you are not disturbed by the injustices, atrocities, and crimes against God's images on this earth, the issue isn't that you don't value God's images. The issue is that you don't value God. 1 John 4.20 says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? That's intense. That's not me, that's the Bible. That's intense. But we speak to God in lament. And since God is sovereign, we do have to acknowledge that at some level, every difficulty we endure is permitted by him. Look at verses 6 through 8. He says, Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness and the deeps. Thy wrath lies heavy upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. Thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me. Thou hast made me an abomination unto them. Verses 14 to 18. Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. While I suffer thy terrors, I am distracted or helpless. Thy fierce wrath goeth over me. Thy terrors have cut me off. They came round me daily like water. They compassed me about together. Lover and friend hast thou put far from me and mine acquaintance into darkness. That's a little spicy. And as you read that, you might even be feeling the tension of, can I say that to God? Is that okay to do? The lament psalms say yes. The lament psalms, when we feel that way, we should take it to God. Why? Because he is good and sovereign. He is the only one who can really help. By lamenting, we show faith. We recognize him as our only hope. I skipped over verse 1. The opening to this psalm, he says, O Lord God of my salvation. That is, God, I recognize you're the only one who can help me. I have cried day and night before thee. 
God, it doesn't feel like you're there with me. It doesn't feel like you love me. It doesn't feel like you're caring for me. It actually feels like you're my enemy, but I know you're my only hope, and so I ask you for help. Verse 13. But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Even though he doesn't feel like his prayers are answered, he's still going to keep praying. Why? He recognizes God as his only hope. The proper response of a believer to seeing the curse in this world is seeking uh, justice from God in the form of lament. And I want you to know that if you cut lament out of your prayer life, you're refusing to hate sin as much as God does. We have to pray. Lament. It's most of the Psalms, and the Psalms are intended to teach us to pray. Because sin and its effects are bad, but God is good and sovereign. Why am I talking about this? Why, when we had the opportunity to talk about Psalms, did I pick the most depressing chapter of the Bible? Some of you probably don't know this, but my current wife is not my first wife. I met a girl during college. We dated for three years, got married the day after graduation. And in 2019, she passed away suddenly and unexpectedly. Sin and its effects are bad. But I can tell you that what I learned in that time, largely through Psalm 88, which you may not think of it this way, but it gave me hope. I knew that sin and its effects are bad, but I learned that God is good and sovereign. What should you do if you're in Psalm 88? Sometimes when we get into a trial, our first thought is, God, stop the trial. And that is not the way a believer should respond. It's not wrong to ask that God would expedite the trial to take away the sorrow and suffering, but first and foremost, we have to recognize the goal of trial is to resync us with God. It's to get us in a right relationship with Him. It's to sanctify Him. You can't have joy after a trial without connecting with God through trial. But also, don't run from grief, because lament is intended to teach you about God. It's part of how we humble ourselves before him. It's how we come to learn him. It's how we learn what it means that Christ is meek and lowly in heart. Don't run from grief and bring your laments to God. And also remember that to seek the relief and peace and rest that comes from God in something else is idolatry, and God won't stand for it. What should you do if someone you know is in Psalm 88? Well, again, don't pray mainly that the trial would end. Pray that they would know God through it, that he would use it for his glory. Please don't use cliches, though. Is it true that God is good all the time? Yes. Is that what someone needs to hear when they're in the middle of the dark night of the soul? It might not help. What they need is you to stop and listen and love. Don't just tell them to be happy. That's not what scripture does. That's not what the praise psalms are for. Romans tells us, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Don't tell them that all things are good. That's not true. 
Romans 8.28 tells us that God uses all things for good, but sin and its effects are bad. Don't cross that line. Don't slander God by attributing the effects of sin to his nature. Don't tell them God will restore their loss. Don't tell someone who's lost a kid, you can have another one. Don't tell someone who's lost a spouse, you can get married again. That's not the problem. The problem is sin and its effects. The problem is the fall. The problem is the curse. And no temporary happiness in this life can make up for it, which is why our hope is eternal. Our hope, when we deal with Psalm 88, is that God is still good and sovereign in the depths. It might not feel it, but it's true. Our hope is that God still wants to hear from us when we're overwhelmed. Our hope is that God will use the suffering for his glory and our good. Our hope is that Christ will make all things new. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Lament is how we cast our cares on God. So, I asked you two questions at the beginning. The first one, does Psalm 88 fit under the category of praises? And my answer to you is yes, it does. Because casting your care on him is worship. We praise God in trial, in sorrow, in grief, in affliction by taking that sorrow to God. That's how we humble ourselves before him. We recognize he's the only one who can help. I asked you another question as well. Are Christians, are believers still enviable, even in the dark night of the soul? The answer is yes. Because we can take it to God, and we have hope. I've gone a couple minutes long here, and I apologize, but I get a little excited. Okay? So here's our point again. Nothing new, nothing fancy, nothing shiny but it's foundational to your entire life. Sin and its effects are bad, but God is good and sovereign, and we recognize that through lament. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that it changes us. We thank you that it grows us and shapes us, that you have given us everything that we need to live lives that glorify you, that you have made us in your image, and that our greatest satisfaction in this life is knowing you. I pray that we would seek that, not only when things are good, but when life is hard. Pray that you would help us to recognize you in our lives and to humbly submit to you by casting our care on you. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who gives us the victory, who gives us hope through his blood on the cross. Amen.